0: Well, this morning we are continuing our series called Overcome, and it's based on a passage from John sixteen thirty three, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he knows that tribulation is coming, he knows that a hard time is coming, because the cross is coming, he knows what that means, he knows that he's going to lay down his life as a payment for the sins of mankind. And he knows that in the days between his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave where he defeats death, in those days he knows that there's going to be sorrow and heartache. He also knows that joy will come, and so he wants to encourage them to hold on and to not lose sight of what matters. And so he gives them this word amongst others in John 16, verse 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Not a if you do, but you will have it. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. So we serve a God who has overcome the world. And yet, we forget that so quickly and allow ourselves to be paralyzed by fear in our life. See, throughout the Bible, we are told to fear not, to fear not, to fear not. It's one of the most common commands we find in Scripture. And so we've been asking this question, how do we live in that reality? How do we live in the reality of a people who are following a God who has overcome the world? See, many of our fears are things that we can face, maybe even tangible things, right? Uh, Maybe you're afraid of snakes and spiders, and uh, so while they're tangible, you don't want anything to do with them. Uh, Maybe you're afraid of of public speaking. I know I am. Um, Maybe you're afraid of the dentist. I'm just teasing on that one. Um, (laughs) Maybe you're afraid of the dentist. These are some common fears. Maybe you're afraid of the dark. I I, I don't know. But these are things that if we really wanted to overcome them, we could say, okay, I'm going to trust in Jesus, and and he's going to get me through this. We can go, we can interact with that thing and see, oh, okay, well, this really isn't all that bad. We can face that tangible fear. We can can go to the dentist. We can uh, have an opportunity to come up and do announcements. If anyone wants to overcome their fear of public speaking, uh, put on your communication card, hey, Steve, I'd like to volunteer for announcements. I'll work with you on that, and we can give God glory for that. We can face those things and take those steps in our lives. But there's some fears that I don't think we're really wanting to face or deal with. Uh, In particular, what I'm talking about is uh, the fear of failure. If you want to overcome the fear of heights, you say, okay, let's go find a high place and then learn to deal with it and and trust that, okay, I'm I'm not going to fall off this high place and and God's with me and I can trust in him. But no one says, okay, well, to overcome the fear of failure, I'm just going to fail a bunch of times and I'll just get used to it, right? We we don't want to face it that way. So what do we do with this sense of fear of failure? I don't know if you can relate to this. Uh, I know when I think about the fear of failure, um, I felt this a few times in my life. As a man, I feel... Uh, a fear of failure when it comes to work, when it comes to providing for my family. It's just the sense of, okay, am I going to be able to accomplish what I need to accomplish, to, to be uh, independent so that we can care for others? One well, of the VBS uh, Bible verses talk about how God comforts us so that we can comfort others. He cares for us and then sends us out to care for others. and That's, that's what I always want to have in my life to where we can have uh, a, a stability in our family to be able to then go and, and help others uh, become stable and they can hear the word of God through those opportunities. As a father, I've had this fear of failing. Before I had my first kid, there was just, when we were pregnant, I was overcome, and just had this moment of, of fear of, of, what if I fail? What if I drop the ball? What if I drop the baby? But that's genuine. Like, all three kids, I was there in the hospital, and the first chance I had to hold my kid, my first thought is, don't drop it, don't drop it. I mean, it's just instinct, because I didn't drop it, you know, it was protective. Um, But there's this fear of failure. As a disciple of Jesus, as someone who wants to be like him and and, and follows Jesus, I've had a a sense of fear of failure, of following his will. Am I doing what the Lord is is desiring me to do? There's still sin in my life that I'm struggling through. We we all are are broken, hurting people in need of a Savior. Even when we we find Jesus, there's still a, a sinful nature in us that we battle. Am I failing you, God, when, when I sin, when I, when I struggle in, in these ways? I've failed. It's not just a fear of failure, but I have failed. Uh, at one point, I was bivocational. We were at a part of a different church plant down in Lombard, and I worked for a survey company. And um, uh, one of the things I enjoyed about that is I had some great connections with people who, who just had never stepped foot in a church or hadn't been to church in a long time and had some great conversations. And I really wanted to set a good example. I want to show that, hey, I'm different in the way that I live my life because of who God is in my life. And and you know what? I had some significant failures as well. There's one day in particular that stands out in my mind Uh, at a crew chief. So it was two people in a truck that go out and do jobs throughout the day. Then you come back to the office, unload, and and get on with your day. And so uh, at this point, I had a crew chief, and uh, he had a a habit of uh, taking an extended lunch uh, he really appreciated the, the Hispanic siesta that would sometimes uh, accompany, I think, in some foreign countries. And so um, while the clock wouldn't stop, uh, he would just kind of you know, nod off for a little bit. And, and again, trying to set a good example, uh, I wasn't out to rat him out or you know, get him in trouble, but I said, you know what, I'm going to make sure I work hard. And so I found something to do. Whenever he would do that, you know, I, I made sure that I had something to do. He had one of the cleanest trucks inside and out, because I would organize the snot out of that thing uh, every time he did this. But at on one particular day, it had been maybe a few times of that in a row, and, and you can only organize a truck so many times in, in so many ways. And I, I really was at a loss. I didn't know what else to do, and I even kind of said that to him. He was like, I don't know, just give, give me you know, 15 minutes. And I said, okay. So I sat in the truck, and he's he's sitting in the driver's seat, and he's passed out. And well, I'll read. And so I'm sitting in a nice, warm truck with the sun beating on me, and been a long day. And I bust out the Bible, and I start reading. And what do I do? I nod off. And as luck would have it, that's the moment the superintendent for the job site walks up to the truck. Now, he was gracious, he didn't say, you know, he just kind of. You know, you're both in that kind of light state of sleep, so we both pop right up, oh hey, how you doing, we have a conversation, and, you know, just checking in with us, and we get the job done, and we go back to the office, and nothing more is said, it was a late day, so no one was in the office to, to reprimand us, or even if we didn't even know if they knew, and that next morning, you know, Steve, and then the, off the other guy's name, we get called, they come talk to me in my office, I think I know what this is about. And then we get chewed out, and then I, I, I'm asked to step out of the office, and then my, my boss or my crew chief gets chewed out, you know, for about three times more as long. Um, I failed. I, I, I failed. But what's interesting is even in the midst of that failure, there's an opportunity to show how we're different. So what do I do in light of my failure? Do I, do I try to, you know, oh, no, it's his fault, you know, I, I was trying to do all that I could, and it just, you know, it was a bad situation, or do I just own up to it? Yeah, I was asleep when the guy walked up, you know, he, if you want to know more of the story, happy to share. But it happened. I'm sorry, and you know, I'll do my best to never let it happen again. And but, so I've i failed. You know, I, I was a part of a church plant for about nine years before uh, coming up here to Meadowland. And, and um, that church plant took on various different forms, from a, you know just different town. We, we'd move one town north, and we were a campus of another church. And eventually, uh, we had to shut it down for financial reasons. And in one sense, I look at that and I'm like, okay. So after all that energy, there's not a new church. In Addison, that's one of the towns we were in was in Addison, as a result of that labor. And so it feels like a failure. Now, I can can point to all kinds of different stories of life change, stories where people's lives were impacted by the ministry that was happening through that church plant. But at the end of the day, our goal was to see something beyond nine years. Our goal was to see a a church that would be a pillar in the community, a beacon of light for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and, and that didn't come about. And so there's ways in which I've felt like a failure in that situation. And again, despite being someone who's received the forgiveness of God, every time I find myself in sin, I feel like a failure again. C- can you relate to any of these? Where, where have you failed in your life? Not, not looking for hands up. I mean, if you want, you can, but you don't have to. <laughs> where have you failed? And how does that fail- failure fuel your fear of failing again? How, does, how do those past mistakes, those past failures, fuel this fear of failing again? Where has this fear of failure paralyzed you? Where has it kept you from even trying something because you were afraid of failing? See, if we're honest with ourselves, failure has power in this world, right? It has power. A couple of different ways it has power is, one, there are consequences. So when, when failure takes place, there are consequences for that failure. And depending on what the issue is, sometimes it's really light and, and, and things, you know, little bumps in the road that we can get over. And other times, it's significant ways. A consequence of failure can be broken trust. You know, my example, can my boss still trust me? That would be a hard worker. That, 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 you know, when I say, hey, I worked you know, 50 hours this week, could he trust that he got good solid 50 hours out of me? Or do he have to wonder, is an hour of each of those you know, sleeping on the job from each day? You could experience financial loss. Maybe you failed in, in a business or a financial endeavor. Maybe just a, you, you, you risked a little or maybe you risked everything. Failure has power in this world because consequences can lead to lost relationships or damaged relationships. There's failures in this world that can lead to incarceration, to where you're put behind bars, sometimes even for life. It can lead to humiliation, to rejection. There are, are varying degrees of consequences from failure, but failure always has consequences. You can't throw a rock into a pond and not have ripples that go out that affect the rest of the pond, right? Our failure is the same way. It has effects in our lives and in the lives of others. And see, sometimes we feel that we can never recover from the result of failure. I think that's another power that failure has. It tells us this lie that, hey, if you fail at something, you can never recover. You've blown everything. It's like oh, one and done. You just you mess this up, nothing else is going to succeed. It's a lie that we, we, we fall into. It's a lie that we believe. So we actually we don't even try. Hey, if I don't try, if I don't put myself out there, if I don't do whatever it is I feel God's called me to do or whatever's on my heart to go and do, whether you're you're going to God for that or not, we say oh, I'm not going to do it. So if I don't do it. Then I can't fail. See, the fear of failure keeps us from fully embracing and fully living the lives that we've been given. But I'm here to tell you this more in some good news. There's something a lot scarier than the fear of failure. Oh, sorry, not good news, bad news, bad news. Um, but we have good news about that bad news. If you really relate to this sense of, of this fear of failure, I want you to look at that and weigh the risks and say, hang on, there's something even more significant here. And that's the fear of our sin being undealt with. Because all the consequences we've talked about, think of some of the the biggest ways you could blow it, the biggest failures you could have. They can destroy families and destroy relationships. And still, all of that is temporal. All all that exists, for the most part, you can think of some other examples that maybe don't, but for the most part, all that exists within the bounds of, of this world that we can see around us. But undealt with sin has an impact for eternity. Sin is what the Bible will call the ways we've missed the mark of God's standard, of what God would call us to, of his will, of his word. And no matter how good we are, our own personal righteousness, the things that we can do right are like filthy rags compared to God's standard. But God knew this, and that's why he offered us Jesus. Because Jesus came as God, but was fully God and fully man, walked in our shoes not only showed us, here's how you can live in this life, but then laid his life down on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, so that when we trust in Jesus, our sins are dealt with. The price for our sins, the wages of sin is death. Jesus' death is sufficient to pay that price for all of your sin, past, current, and future. It's sufficient for that. And so if we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, our sin is now dealt with. Our eternity is now secure. The Holy Spirit now dwells inside of us. We are now sons and daughters of the Almighty God. We have a place in heaven in all eternity, secured in Jesus. Done. Set. So when that's dealt with, the fear of failure becomes a lot smaller. It becomes a lot smaller. But if your sin is undealt with, if you uh, you haven't trusted in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, the leader of your life and the forgiver of your sins, I would encourage you to put more energy to that issue than you would to the fear of failure. Because the issue of our sin has an eternal impact in our lives. And so when we deal with the sin issue, it brings about a freedom to overcome the power of failure. Because when our eternity is secure, the fear of failure is neutered. It it can't reproduce in our lives because what's the worst that could happen? My eternity is with God. I know you can say, well, Steve, there's a lot bad that could happen. Yeah, there's a lot bad that could happen, but in the scope of eternity, this world is but a blip on the screen. And so when our eternity is secure with him, the fear of failure is greatly diminished. I want to take a break real quick, uh, from this. I, just, I want to tell you about some guys who did some stuff. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, we got a, a guy by the name of Abraham. Hebrews 11 is referred to as the hall of faith. It goes through a list of a whole bunch of different biblical characters and all these things they did in faith but they trusted God and they trusted his word uh, and they did all these different things. Uh, by faith, Abraham believed God when God called him to, to, to leave his home and to go to a, a promised land. He says, I will give you a land. He said, I, I will give you a nation from your own offspring. At this point, he was old, his wife was old and they, they, you know, she actually laughed about it when she found out. Um, but by faith, he trusted God. By faith, he was willing to sacrifice this promised son. So after he received the son, that would be uh, the the lineage where this nation would grow from. God said, all right, I want you to sacrifice him to me. And, And Abraham believed God, saying, I believe that God could give him back to me. Even if God lets me go as far to sacrifice this son, this promised gift, I believe that God could bring him back to me. He could give me my son back again. We read in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, the second half, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Here's a man who trusted in God and because of his faith in God, he was made righteous. In the same way that when we trust in Jesus, we are made righteous, we are made perfect. Another great name in Christendom is, is David. Uh, king David, a shepherd king. Uh, we can see David's story if you want to read about him in First and Second Samuel, as well as First Kings and First Chronicles. Uh, he was most commonly known for defeating the, the, the Philistine giant Goliath. Uh, the two sides were at war, and basically they sent out Goliath. And he said, hey, whoever can defeat me, you know what, that'll be it. One battle, you know, if I kill your man, we win. If you kill me, uh, you guys win. And, and that was the, but no one would step forward to challenge him. And this little shepherd boy comes forward, uh, probably about a, roughly about a teenager. He's like, hey, this guy's talking smack about our, about our God. Who's going to get him? Oh, no one? Well, oh, I'll do it. And he goes and takes, takes on this giant with, with a, a sling and rocks. He's also known as the second king. Of Israel. Israel had had three kings before uh, things just went downhill and there was civil war and then you had uh, Israel and Judah two different nations and they had a whole line of kings some good some bad but as far as where they're unified they're only made it through three kings before that all broke down but when he was the, the king of Israel uh, scripture teaches that his heart was focused on God Acts 13 21 and 22 says this Then they asked for a king. This is the people of God. They asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, this is is God testifying to David, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Some pretty amazing guys, but um, these greats of the faith, uh, they have... Pretty amazing stories of failure as well. Are you afraid of failing in your profession? Do you have a fear of failure in your job and whatever it is, whether it's out in the marketplace, whether it's out in construction or some kind of management, uh, if it's in the business world, if it's in the home, uh, whatever your 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 role is, is there a fear of failing at that? Well, David failed. I mean, he failed. Huge. I mean, 2 Samuel 11, 1, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. So right there we got, here's his job. This is a time where the kings go out to battle. David, you're the king. All right, time to go out to battle. Whether you're defending what is already your land or if you're acquiring more land, his job in the spring of the year was to go out to battle. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. All right, guys, go to war. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabah. But David remained at Jerusalem. David remained at Jerusalem. Now, if it would have stopped there, he said, hey, you know, I failed at this. You know what? Let me deal with the consequences. Let me, let me trust in God and get, and get back to my job. That would have been the end of the story. But he didn't. He allowed that, that failure to continue to spiral out of control. Because he was at home, he saw a woman, Bathsheba, bathing on her roof, and he lusted after her. And then he realized, wait a minute, I'm the king. I got all kinds of power. So he, he sent for her and had her come into his, his home. Uh, and and he, he slept with her. He had his way with her. Then he sends her home. Then he finds out she's pregnant. And instead of coming clean about all this and getting back to being the king, he she, he tries to cover it up, but that fails. Her husband was a soldier off at the front lines, and and he calls her husband home and says, "Hey, take a break," thinking, "Okay, you'll sleep with his wife, and then the child, will, you know, they won't know that it's mine." But being a greater man at that time in David's life than David, Uriah the husband basically says, no, I can't go home and spend time with my wife and my men are out in the battlefield. And his plan backfires. And so what does David do? He basically sends him to his death. He gives him a note that's sealed. Hey, give this to your commander, commanding officer. And it basically says, hey, put him out there where the fighting is the hardest and then withdraw. Take all support from him. Basically has a man carry his own death warrant uh, to the front lines, willing to die for his king and for his country. Then his king, king who sent him off, takes his wife as his own. That was a massive failure. A massive failure. Instead of going to work, David stayed home and did all that. He experienced loss, consequence, as a result of that. The child that they had had born uh, died. It, It didn't survive. You may sound like, well, that's harsh, you know, The kid didn't get a chance to grow up, but we know that the child will be with God in heaven. And so, if anything, was saved from some of the the heartache of this world. Um, But, uh, you know, the son died. This child died. There's turmoil that stayed in his family. And if you kind of get into some of David's family and his kids and how all the different things played out, I mean, it makes Jerry Springer episodes uh, look like, you know, just, you know, run-of-the-mill issues. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff going on. Surprised they haven't made a movie out of that stuff yet. So here we got someone else who, who, you know, seen as a man after God's own heart, and yet he failed in massive ways when it came to his job. Are you afraid of failing with your family? Or maybe if you don't have kids or uh, if you you live not on your own, there's a sense in which we're called to raise up the next generation, right? Are you afraid uh, to fail with your role and how you help raise up this next generation? Well, both David and Abraham, these great men of the faith, failed in this way as well. We already heard how David, his family, kind of fell apart as a result of his sin. Abraham, uh, God gives him this promise that, okay, I'm going to make a nation through you. And he's like, okay, God, you're going to make a nation through me and my wife, Sarah. And, uh, well, we're both kind of old, so you must meet. I should go sleep with my my wife's maidservant, Hagar. And so he kind of takes it upon himself, and he does that. And and they have a, a kid, Ishmael. And God's like, no. I'm going to have a nation through you and your wife, Sarah. So he, he failed his wife in that, and in taking this other wife. You could say, well, that was, that was common back then, right? Polygamy to have all these extra wives and concubines and whatnot. And that, was, that was just kind of commonplace. Well, Even if we factored that in, he still failed in the sense that God said, hey, here's my promise. It's for you and Sarah. It's for you and Sarah. And he didn't lead his family well in saying, all right, we're going to trust God uh, to 100% that he's going to do a miracle in our lives. he went and tried to kind of make it happen on his own. And then turmoil happens in the midst of that. You can see how, okay, you have this this one child of promise that's coming, and you already have a a son who was born of a maidservant. You can see how there'd be a little tension in the home, right? Thanksgiving dinners where everyone came home were probably a little awkward. And so off of uh, Sarah's request, Abraham sends off uh, Hagar and her son. And see, there's, there's issues in the family. So this great of the faith failed. There's other failures uh, that these men did. Uh, Have you ever been afraid of failing yourself? Maybe just uh, in your integrity or some struggles you've had that you overcome? Just afraid you're just going to fall back into those? These men did. Abraham failed there with, with his integrity. While in his travels... He came across different towns and uh, this one town where he was afraid that they would see his wife and see that she was attractive and say, okay, well, we want her, but she's married. So what do we do? We just kill her husband and then we can have her, right? So he says, oh, that's not my wife. That's my sister. He, he lies about his relationship with his wife. And, and when, when the Pharaoh finally uh, realizes who she is, oh, "Take take your wife young, and get out of here. You, you lied to me. And so we can see he, he fails in his integrity. And so here's two examples of godly people Abraham and David, who failed more than once, yet they were still used by God in powerful ways. They're still seen as righteous due to their their trust in God. That should give us great hope. Both Abraham and David uh, are ancestors of Jesus, Jesus came from their line. God did amazing things through them and through their people. So whether there's failure at work, at home, or failing of ourselves, it doesn't ruin us for eternity. Yes, there's consequences in this world for our failures, but it doesn't ruin us for all of eternity because Jesus has overcome the world. As we think about this, there's kind of two questions that we need to deal with here this morning. And I want to jump to a passage um, that maybe doesn't initially speak to the fear of failure, but it talks about fear a little bit. I think it's going to paint a picture for us so we can understand maybe some answers to these questions, there's two questions we need to ask in response to the power of the fear of failure and and sin in our lives. So as we look at those two things and and what role they play in our lives and which one we're allowing to really uh, play itself out in our life, there's two questions we need to ask. The first one is this. Have you received your place in heaven? Have I received my place in heaven? What what I'm talking about in there is have you acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Savior? Is your sin dealt with? Has Jesus taken away the power of sin over your eternity? And to do that, we we need to simply receive it. And to receive that, we acknowledge Jesus. We believe that you are God and that your death on the cross is sufficient to pay the price for my sin. To some who would say that's too simple of a gospel, that's the truth of the gospel. And then from that point forward in this relationship with Jesus, we seek after what does it mean to live in Him? And the second question that we can ask is are you passing on your place in history? Are you passing on your place in history? Are you living a life that leaves a legacy? Are you teaching others how to walk with Jesus even though we live in a sinful world? And so let's look at 2 Timothy here, real quick. Uh, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Timothy was a young man that Paul kind of mentored uh, as a pastor. Timothy, uh, his dad isn't really mentioned much more than we know he was a Greek, uh, but his mom and his grandmother were Jewish, and so he kind of has a, a foot in both worlds there, both Jew and Gentile. But Paul pours into him, um, and then we see this in 2 Timothy 1, 5 through 7. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So let's look at that first question. Have you received your place in heaven? We see that Timothy has done this. He had a sincere faith. He trusted in God. His sin is dealt with. If we keep on reading the letter, we get to 2 Timothy 2, verses, uh, verse 11 through 13. This, this, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, referring to Jesus, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Look at those last two. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we don't acknowledge him as Lord, if we don't deal with our sin, then our sin is is not dealt with and we are separated from God. Right? So then we trust in him. We say, all right, I want to put my faith in you. But what if I fail at that? What if I mess up? What if I'm faithless at times? Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. The fear of failure is wiped clean when our eternity is secure in Jesus. So have you dealt with your sin? To those of us here who haven't, who haven't trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I would invite you to consider that today. To not walk out of these doors without genuinely considering that. If there's questions you have, then pursue answers to those. If you're not ready to say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, that's okay. But don't let it stop at that and say, well, I'm not ready, and then let it go. But pursue him. Discover who he is. This is a good place to do that. Even if you don't believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, even if you don't trust in God, even if you're not even sure the Bible is true, you're just kind of checking all this out. This is a a good place to ask questions. It's a safe place to be as you grow in your relationship with God and you take the next step on your journey. To those of us who have dealt with our sin, who do trust in Jesus, let us continue to repent of that sin when we sin. We see in 2 Timothy, they call the fan into flame, right? Imagine a little spark. How does that spark burst into a mass of fire? We fan it. We throw more oxygen on it. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is what fire are we stoking in our lives? Are we stoking the fire of fear or are we stoking the fire of faith? When you come across things that bring about fear in your life, do you play the what-if game? Well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? But this is big and scary. Do you fixate and focus on that fear? Do you, if you do, that's what you're doing. Is, is you're basically you're, you're busting out the, the, you know, an air compressor and you're just sticking it right in that fire of fear. You're opening it up full bore and you're, you're fanning that into in this massive fire. You're allowing it, all this power in your life. Let us instead fan the flames of our faith and, and, and turn to, okay, in light of my fear, okay, what does God say about that? Who, okay, he says, my eternity is secure in him. Let, let me look at other passages that the build off of that. And let's fan that flame of faith in Jesus. So, have we received our place in heaven? And are we passing on our place in history? What I'm talking about there is, are, have we left a legacy? Are we raising up the next generation? Or have we been paralyzed by this fear of failure, a spirit of fear? or we pour our lives into others. If we go back to verse 7, of the first verse I read out of 2 Timothy, we said we're empowered not by a spirit of fear, but of what? By a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. If we look at that, those contrast fear, right? So apart from God, you know, fears can run rampant. But when we place our life in Him, we trust in Him, we're given a spirit of power. No longer to be paralyzed by fear, but to be able to overcome it. We're given a spirit of love. This is the opposite of fear. We we read in 1 John that perfect love drives out fear. We take on the heart of God and see others the way that he does. And this thing of self-control. See, when we get fixated, we fan the flames of fear. Sometimes our emotions run wild, right? But when we trust in the spirit that God's put inside of us and see it's a spirit of self-control, we can pause and, and call things what they are. We can call lies lies instead of falling for them. So let us be a people that redefine what success is when it comes to this fear of failure. I'm going to close with this. When you think about the things that, you know, go back to the beginning when we started, talk about different ways we fear failure. Think about the result, the consequences, if you were to fail in those arenas of life. Okay. Think about how, while significant, still temporal, still temporary. Think about, is there something I can do in these arenas of life that would have an eternal impact? And let us focus on those. So what does that mean? What does that look like? So when I look at what I do, my work, Do I work as one who's just trying to get a paycheck so I can go and buy my new bass boat? Or do I work as one who's trying to see ministry continued? And before you say, oh, Steve, so you just want us to work and then give all the money to the church, ministry can be done in a new bass boat. (laughs) Think about it. I mean, God's entrusting you with your funds, and so it's up to you and God to figure out how that gets divvied up and how that gets used. And if you've been blessed with a job where you have the funds to go and get a new bass boat, ministry can be done in that boat. Whether that's your time where you get away from, from this world and it's just you and God spending time and you're not only fishing, but you're, you're, you're uh, meditating on his word. Or every time you go out, you invite someone else to come out with you. Because when you got someone stuck in the middle of the boat, middle of the lake, you can talk about Jesus all you want. Now, if they go swimming back to shore, then you, know, you really must have crossed some lines. But it's a great ministry opportunity. I don't know what your bass boat is. I'm not saying that we, have to, okay, we only work to give to the church. No. We work to give to God. It's all His anyway. So are we using that in a way that, that, that brings about ministry? We think about failing in our families. What, what, what would success look like in your family? Think about that. How would you define success? There would have been a day that I would have said success for my family is that my kids stayed out of jail. Now, I just said, you know what? We'll have a bail bond fund. You know, I've kind of already started to convert one of their college funds over to that. Uh, Just seeing some of the choices they're making, but um, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. It's just, we have one child, a very spirited child, and I love her spirit. Last last I want to do is break that spirit. I'm just trying to to, uh, direct her to use that for God and not evil. Um, Again, i got to learn not to go off my no, get away from my notes. <laughs> um, but so what does it look like to, to trust? Uh, um, man, I'm all over the place now. Forgive me. What does it look like uh, in our families to, to uh, redefine success? That's where we're going. All right, thank you. Back on page. You know what? If my kids end up in jail or come home with a detention because they stood up for another kid at school or they're out standing up for justice, Cool. Uh, you, you go serve that sentence with pride. Wear that as a badge of honor. If, if there's no other way around it, and hey, you got to serve that detention, you know what? You're not going to get any slack from your parents if you got that detention because you're stick, sticking up for someone else. You know? So I've I, I really begun to redefine what success is with my kids. My heart, my prayer for them is that they would walk in the ways of the Lord and that and, and I would show that to them. I would reveal that to them. Am I going to fail? Yes, I'm still going to make mistakes. But God is sovereign and God is eternal and my eternity is set with him and my prayer is that that be true for all of us as well. So think about where your fear is. What would success look like in that realm and whatever that fear is? What would success look like if we redefine that in the ways that we honor into the Lord that would acknowledge who he is? If there's any ladies out there who or you have a harder time convincing your husband out of a bass boat, I apologize. I apologize. Just let me know when he gets it, we'll set up a ministry around it and help to take us all out. <laughs> we leave you with this. Trusting the Father for forgiveness overcomes the fear of failure. That may sound simple, but when we really think about that, there's a lot of truth there. Trusting in God the Father for, for forgiveness overcomes the fear of failure. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, church, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We just thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. Father, we pray for life change. We pray that any fear of failure that is in us, that's in this place, Father, would be neutered would be removed and be replaced by our our trust in you for eternal life, our trust in you that you work in and amongst us and through us, Father God. I pray that each one of us here would have a clear understanding of what our next step is in you, Father God. Help us to redefine what success looks like in the areas of our life where there's fear and to redefine it in a way that brings you glory, in a way that honors you and lifts your name up on high. Let us redefine success in a way that doesn't lift our name up, but lifts your name up and makes known the gospel, the good news that Jesus comes has come as forgiveness for sin. I thank you that the gospel is simple, that we can simply receive it as the gift that it is. And Father, I pray that there's anyone here this morning who hasn't done that yet, that this would be the moment, that in this time, while I'm praying that they would pray quietly to themselves as well to just say, Father, I receive your gift. I trust that Jesus is God and that his death on the cross was sufficient as a payment for my sins. And that you would work in their lives, Father God, to bring about life change. That you here this morning and you've made that decision for the first time, you say, "Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior." Don't stop there. Let someone know. Put it on the communication card. Let someone else uh, you're sitting next to know and have a conversation on what that means. Let us walk with you on that journey. And Father, for the rest of us, we, we, for all of us here, we just ask that you would work in and amongst our lives. That you would remove any fear of failure. That we would know that we stand as your sons and daughters we trust in you for forgiveness. And when we fall, help to pick us up. When we fail, Father God, help to work in our lives to bring about our good in your glory. Praise all in your name. Amen.